We have a lot to do tonight, so I want to make sure we, we take uh, advantage of the time that we have tonight, uh, especially want to get you out of here before the, the snowpocalypse comes. So why don't, you, uh, why don't you go ahead and take a seat and we'll, uh, we'll pray and we'll get started. Oh, yeah. If you didn't grab on your way in, if you didn't grab a copy of the slides for tonight, you can grab one of those. You, you don't need to have it. Um, that is just my gift to you. You're welcome. I... Uh, um, I think giving you this ahead of time might help. I know some of you are like me and you're OCD and you feel uh, compelled to write down everything that appears on the screen. So now you have everything that appears on the screen. So you don't need to write it down. So you can take notes on, on the sheet. Now, I can't promise you this is going to be here every week. This is... The, it being here every week is dependent on me being done with it more than five minutes before we start. So this week, the answer was yes. Next week, the answer might not be yes for that. So uh, like I said, we have a lot to do tonight. There are uh, literally 128 slides that I hope to get through in the next two hours. So yeah, don't worry. I'll let you know when it's time to leave. We'll set an alarm. So um, let's go ahead and pray, and, and we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the chance that we have to gather together tonight to, again, open your word, to think about how to, uh, to handle it well, think about how that we can set our hearts to study it and to practice it and to teach it to others like Ezra. And so we would pray that you would help us, that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonders from your law, and that even as we learn how to study, that we would be transformed. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I apologize for the popping. I am, uh, I'm not an audio-visual pro, uh, so hopefully my mic won't continue to pop. Um, all right, I, I want to start tonight with a, with a couple disclaimers or uh, maybe a couple encouragements. Um, so this is, this is the third session, and so you've done two rounds of homework. Uh, I know some of you feel overwhelmed by the amount of work <laughs> and by the nature of the work. And so there's, there's a couple things I want to say to that. First, if you're overwhelmed, yeah, that's normal. Um, and, uh, and, and I kind of anticipated that. Um, but I also want to encourage you that that's okay. Um, particularly if this is not something that you're used to. It's going to feel like a lot, and there's going to be times where you feel lost and you're not quite sure what's going on. What I am more concerned about is that you put the effort in to try it. So I don't anticipate that you're going to come out of this class being able to stand up here and teach it. 
I don't anticipate, and maybe you will, that would be wonderful, but I don't anticipate that you're necessarily going to come away an expert in every single thing we talk about. But what we're trying to do is give you tools to be able to use. And, and uh, so Bob Zimmerman and I were talking earlier this week and, or last week, and, uh, and he used the example of um, he has a toolbox in his home. I have one too, but it doesn't get used much. Uh, so we'll use Bob's as an example. Uh, it says there's, there's like six tools that he uses all the time. And then there's about 30 that he almost never uses, but he has them in case he needs to use them. And so that's what we're, that's what we're doing. We're giving you tools to use when you study the Bible. Some of them you're going to use all the time. Some of them you might not use all the time. You might use only rarely, only when it's, when it's necessary uh, to use it. And if you've been reading uh, our book, Dig Deeper, they, they make the same point, right? They say, you're not going to use, I think there's 15 or 16 different tools that they have uh, in here that kind of mirror some of the stuff that we're talking about. You're not going to use all 15 or 16 of them every single time you sit down to study the Bible. Some of them you'll use all the time. Some of them you might, you might not use all the time. Or you might not use except on a, on a rare occasion. So, um, all that being said, I know it can be overwhelming. I know it can feel like a lot. And so what I'm more concerned about is that you're, that you're trying. Uh, I'm, I'm not grading you on whether or not you complete the work. I'm not even grading you on whether or not you get the right answer. And I'm going to give you a hint. For a lot of this stuff, there's not one right answer. Now, that doesn't mean that there's multiple meanings in the text, right? We've been over this. But uh, we'll talk today uh, a little bit about your assignment from the last time, which was to go through the book of Philippians, basically try to outline it, try to break it into sections. And, and what, you know, what are the big uh, chunks where, where Paul is thinking about one thing and then thinking about another thing? And I think what we'll find as we talk about it is that there's not one way to do it. There's a, a bunch of different ways to do it. Uh, and so we don't have Paul's outline of Philippians for us to compare our outline to. And so studying the structure of a book and understanding the outline and the flow of thought, that's just a tool for us so that we can understand what Paul's trying to do. Okay? So I want, I want to put you all at ease. It's, it's okay to struggle with this. And so I'm more concerned with the fact that you guys are putting in the effort to try to do it. That's going to repay you a hundredfold uh, more than if you can uh, just look up the right answer. That's why I, I'm encouraging you to try to do the work on your own and not go looking things up. You're going to be repaid more in the future in your own study if you do the work yourself because you're, you're teaching yourself as you're going through this. You're practicing rather than just you know, Googling outline of Philippians, you'll get one, you'll get a bunch of them, but you're not going to learn how to do it yourself and you'll always be reliant on somebody else. And so part of the goal of learning how to study the Bible is that you're not going to be reliant on all sorts of other people to teach you this, that you can study the Bible and understand it yourself. Okay? All right. So open your workbook to page 39.
So what I'd, what I'd like for you to do for maybe about the next 10 to 15 minutes is talk at your tables about how you divided up the book of Philippians. Think through these. You don't need to come up with separate answers for all of these. These are just ones that I'd like for you to, to maybe think about. Do you notice any similarities in your outlines, any differences? What did you learn as a part of this experience as you, as you went through and tried to outline the book of Philippians? What's hard? What's easy? If anything's easy. Um, what would help you make a better outline? Are, are there things that you think, like, if, if, maybe if I knew this, it would help me out? Uh, and uh, think about how might this, uh, this skill of making an outline and seeing the structure of a book, how might that be helpful at the beginning uh, of your study as then you go to study passages individually? How will having this picture of the whole help you understand little sections as you go? So take 10, 15 minutes to do that. We'll come back together and we'll talk. Today I have a mic so that hopefully you'll be able to hear one another as we, uh, as we share. I may draft one of you, however, to run the mic around. So don't make direct eye contact with me or it might be you. All right, go ahead. Okay, well, why don't we try to wrap up our, uh, our conversations at our tables and uh, we'll, we'll come back together and, and see what you guys came up with. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk in a few minutes about different ways that you could outline the whole book of Philippians. Uh, what I'm more concerned about right now is just to hear from you guys what your experience was with doing this, what you found that might be helpful for your study, what you found challenging, uh, and, and so forth. And then we can argue later about how you break up Philippians. Um, so, Brett is making eye contact with me what happens when you forget. You can nominate somebody. Well, no, you don't, need, you don't need to answer the question. I just need you to run the mic around. Oh. I mean, you can answer the question if you want. <laughs> Were you listening? No. No, no I wasn't listening. Okay. okay. I'm good at that. No, All right. It saves me from having to answer any questions. All right, now the trick is, this happens, you all do this to us at the congregational meeting, so this is going to be fun. Um, the trick is going to be now, somebody over bar, here close. is going to be next, Hello? so that Brett has to run. Can okay, Brett. Is it on? It's on, yeah. Okay. Um, closer? Uh, sometimes I see people hold it from far away. No, just cl- close. Um, I think the one thing that I got out of this was after reading the letter multiple times, like, you really start to pick things up that you've never seen in the text before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really helpful for me to, like, just see the importance of not just speed reading through the text mm-hmm. to get an answer, but really diving in to figure out what's going on, why did he write this, yeah. um, and pick up, like, minor details that become important that you wouldn't see if you only read the letter once. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Do you guys feel the same way? reading over it multiple times, being forced to read it multiple times, you end up seeing things you didn't read. Hmm? You're welcome. One of the things that came up at our table was how much detail do you go into? In other words, mm. do you just have broad breaks yeah. or do you go into even finer breaks? And yeah. how much detail do you actually end up with? Yeah. Yeah, how much detail... How much detail do you end up with? How, how far do you break it down? And 
So, I, I mean, I think in some ways it depends on what you're trying to do, right? I mean, if, if you're just trying to get an overall view of the, of the flow of the book, you don't need to get into, into real deep detail. Um, yeah, if you're studying a, a smaller passage, then you can break it up into really fine detail where even you're, you're breaking it up into uh, each section has a single verse or part of a verse. Um, wasn't necessarily asking you to go quite into that much detail, but it's, it's a good question. How far do you go? Do you, is it just real broad strokes or, is it, or do you break it down even further? Um, and the reality is probably if you did kind of big broad ideas, uh, then as you go, you could probably break it down into, into smaller ideas. And if you did a bunch of smaller ideas, like you had uh, 27 sections, you could probably group some of those into to bigger sections that would help you understand the flow of the book more. Yeah. I think a giveaway on that is more like whenever I tried to label it. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a lot. Mm -hmm. What do I call it? Because yeah. it fits here, but it doesn't fit here. So yeah. that just means I need more work, I think. But well, no, but I think that's good. I think that's actually a way to help when you, when you do outline. Um, one of the things you can ask yourself, I mean, the, the, in the workbook, they, they gave you the question, uh, what's the author doing? Right? And what's the author doing now? And so that's a question you can be asking yourself as you're reading through and you're trying to break it up into sections. Um, and I think another thing that you can do as you're asking yourself questions like that is say, well, how does this fit with the thing that came before? And how does this fit with the thing that comes after? And if they're totally different, then you might have a new section. Um, if they're the same, if they're addressing the same thing, then they might be part of the same section. Um, but again, remember, this is, this is just a tool that we're using, so you're not looking for, for Paul's answer necessarily. It's just a way for us to understand it. But that, that could be a good way to, to help us understand the text better. Yeah, back here. Okay, so how do you handle um, when it appears that he is touching on a, second, a subject, the same subject again mm -hmm. later on in his letter? Yeah. So I think... Remember where we are in the process of studying a letter. We're still on the front end where we're just kind of doing a big, big picture overview of a book. Right? So the goal, even at this point, as you're outlining, is not to figure out how every piece fits together. Um, I think the answer to that kind of a question where, okay, well, Paul addresses this subject here, and then he seems to leave off, and then he addresses something else later, I think the answer to that question might come as you actually go and you study those individual sections. Uh, and so as your study of the book progresses, your understanding of how things fit together is going to, is going to get better. I think the answer to that question probably comes as you, do, as you do more study. Right now, it might be just a really good observation to say, he seems to address the same thing here twice. Uh, and so you're not necessarily yet trying to, to link all of the, the passages together. I mean, if you can, that's great, but maybe you're left at this point with a question mark. And that's okay, because you haven't actually studied those sections yet. And you may find, as you go, that what you initially thought he was talking about in this section is actually something different. And so maybe on the surface it appears that he's talking about the same thing twice, but maybe the point of the second one is actually different than the point of the first one as you go and you study it. Okay, uh, yeah. But he actually says um, that he doesn't find any trouble to write the same things uh, to you again. Yeah, so that's uh, verse 3-1. Uh, 
Now, the question that I would have there as you go to study that verse is, what's he talking about? What are the same things he's talking about? Because what, he, what comes right after that is not the same as what he's already written. So we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, well, what is he talking about there? Because chapter 3 is very different from chapters 1 and 2. So that's a good, in, that's a good interpretive question for us to ask when we get to that stage is, all right, there, there does seem to be some kind of a break at the end of chapter 2. At the beginning of chapter 3, he uses the word finally, which I think we, we said last week is kind of ironic because he's only halfway done with the letter. So it's like when a pastor says, in conclusion, in his sermon, right? Um, so there's some kind of break there, but we don't know, at this point, we don't exactly know what it is or why it's, or why it's there. What, is, what does Paul mean when he says, to write the same things to you is, is no trouble for me? Um, what's he talking about? So, and that's a question we'll probably have to answer when we get to, there, to that point and study it. Since Paul is so uh, intimately involved with, with, its, with, uh, with the Philippians, I would imagine that he's written to them before. Uh, can we know for sure that he's done that? Is there anything in the text that seems to indicate that he's written to them before? No, but... Then we can't know for sure. No, but you, you would think, I mean, it, his relationship with them obviously goes back a long way. I mean, they've been supporting them, mm -hmm. him, for a while, so. Yeah, so is it possible? Sure. Can we know? No. No, no. no. and this is, that's a good lesson in we can't go beyond what the text says. We, there, there can be things that we can imply from the text and, and guesses we can make and things like that, but if it doesn't say it, we can't you know, we can't stand on it like it's, like it's solid rock. Mm -hmm. Well, or he said it, yeah, or he said it in person. So what, what Mike was saying is when Paul says something like, you know, to, to, write, to write these things to you uh, is no trouble for me, um, he is, you know, could he be referencing uh, another letter that he's written? Would that give indication uh, that, uh, that, there's, that he wrote a different letter? Uh, maybe, but we do have biblical evidence that he was in Philippi and he spoke to them. Uh, one thing that was pointed out in, in the reading was the yeah. understanding the purpose of the book. Mm. If you understand the purpose, I guess, how does that connect with the outline? Yeah. So, if you understand the purpose of the letter, how will that help you better understand or help you kind of formulate an outline? It's a good question. I think, I think if you understand, if you, if you at least have a guess after having read through the letter a number of times as to what the author's overall purpose is, if you have an understanding of the author's overall purpose, it helps you remember as you're formulating your outline that this is not just a random collection of sayings. It's not like Paul uh, sat down and said, all right, um, stream of consciousness, I'm just going to write whatever comes to mind that might be helpful for the Philippians. Uh, that he, Because he has a purpose, everything he's writing uh, has a function to further that purpose. 
uh, some in different ways than others. So I think if you understand the purpose, you're probably more likely to see how each part uh, helps to um, help you understand the whole. You start to see how all the parts fit rather than it being just kind of a random collection of, of sayings or stories. Okay, We're, this is going to be the last one, and then I, I want to move on. The job of the scribe is the job of the scribe like a dictator to write what is what Paul is saying exactly, or is it to take Paul's thoughts and put them together? Do you want the short answer or the long answer? <laughs> I'll give I'll give you the really the really really short answer. I don't know. The slightly longer answer is, I think it probably is more like this person just writing it, writing what Paul says down. Um, but there's whole books that are written by people who study the Bible and study ancient scribal habits and patterns and would probably be able to give you a much better answer than that. So I think we probably lean towards it was just this person writing down word for word what Paul said. Subtext is a lot more complicated than that. But even if it's more complicated than that, we would say that that, that person who was taking what Paul was saying was also operating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't affect the doctrine of inspiration at all. If that makes sense. It's still God's word. So, don't worry about that. Um, if you're really curious about that, I'm sure I can find some wonderfully dry articles for you to read about, about that. So, okay, yeah, no, so, so the answer is I, I don't know. I would be able to give you more information about something like in the Old Testament than, than in the New Testament. So, okay. Okay, so quickly what I want to do is I want to show you, um, just for your encouragement, I want to show you four different outlines of the book of Philippians so that you see that there's not one right answer. Okay? So the first one, uh, this is from the, uh, the Mining God's Word leader guide. I have the answer guide. You guys don't. Um, so they break it up first into three big sections, the introduction, the body, and the conclusion. And then the body, they break up into six sections uh, versus, well, you can, you can read them and you have them on the, on the slides there uh, as well. So that's the, the outline for, uh, that, they, that they gave us here. Now, here's another one from the ESV Study Bible. They have it broken into five major sections. Now, if you, go, if you have the ESV Study Bible or, or you get it, you'll see that there's actually, they have it broken down under each of these into three or four sections beneath each one of these, but I didn't have enough room for that on my slide. Uh, so just imagine that it's broken down further. But you can see they, they broke it down a little bit differently. They broke it at different places. Same thing for the, uh, the Zondervan NIV study Bible. This is the, the outline that they have there. Some breaks in the same places, some breaks in different places. So go back. You see, um, 
the ESV study Bible breaks the uh, Roman numeral 4 at the end of chapter 3 and picks up Roman numeral 5 at the beginning of chapter 4. This one goes from the beginning of chapter 3 to verse 3 in chapter 4. And then the rest of chapter 4 is its, its own section. And then lastly, this is one uh, by a guy named Walter Hansen who wrote a commentary on the book of Philippians. Again, uh, all of these have more stuff underneath it, but I couldn't fit it on the slide. So he's got it broken up into nine big sections, the first and the last of which are just two verses long. And then in the middle, he's got it broken down. And again, some of the sections are the same, some are different. And so then it looks something like this. So uh, on the left side there, those are all the paragraphs that the New American Standard Bible breaks it up into. And so then you see each one of these different resources outlined it differently. Some of them have the same sections. Some of them have very different sections. The point of me showing you this is so that you understand that even really good uh, resources are going to have different answers. So there's not a right answer for you to get with this. The idea is just that as you go to study, you get some kind of idea of the big sections that, that the book is kind of broken up into. And then when you actually go to study the book section by section, you kind of, you kind of know where to stop uh, your, your study. And so I'm, I wouldn't study the entire book of Philippians at once in one sitting. Uh, I would probably start with something like verses 1 to 11 and just start going there. And then when I got to the end of that, I would try to summarize it, and, and then I would move on to the next section and so forth. So that, that helps you kind of map out where you're going to break up your study. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what's, what's the purpose of the outline? Um, so partly... It's to help you get a, get a feel for uh, the way that the author has constructed the book. And so um, that's going to help you understand the purpose. It's going to help you understand each of the parts and how they play a role in the purpose. Um, it may also help you to remember how the book is structured so that as you, so say, um, I'll use Tom Allen as an example. Uh, you know, he's taught the books, uh, different books of the Bible so many times that he has a lot of those outlines just kind of embedded in his mind so that when he goes to explain uh, a, a book to somebody, he can say, well, here are the kind of the major sections. So, for example, the book of Romans has big, four big sections, chapters 1 to 4, chapters 5 to 8, chapters 9 to 11, and chapters 12 to 16. And as you start to to learn that, then even if you haven't, if you're not sitting down and doing a Bible study, if you're sitting there and you're talking with somebody about the book of Romans, you already have kind of an outline in your head, and you can start to kind of explain it to somebody as they're, as they're going. So it aids you, at, and it's cumulative. It, it, it builds as you do more and more. You, you start to retain more and more. Okay, so tonight we're going to talk uh, about observation. So if you want to flip in your study guide 
to the beginning of lesson three. It's on page 41. They call lesson three, Stare at the Fish. Um, there's, a, there's a story in the back of your study guide uh, in one of the, the appendices uh, that is called, I think it's called the, uh, A Geese, the Student, and the Fish, something like that. The Student, the Fish, and Agassiz. Okay. So I'm not going to read the story to you. You can read it if you'd like. But the, the point of the story is basically there was a student who went to study with a naturalist and the naturalist, and he really wanted to study with this naturalist and, and learn about natural biology and all these things. And the, and the naturalist said, okay, uh, I need to go do a bunch of stuff. I want you to sit here and stare at this fish. And when I come back, I want you to tell me everything you can about the fish. And, and this happened two, three, four times, and the student started to get annoyed. But afterwards, uh, after several days, it see, I think it, it said, finally he started to see things that he hadn't seen before just because he was looking closely and attentively and observantly. And so the point is, if we're going to study the Bible well, we need to study it carefully and attentively and observantly. Um, we can't just do, like Brent was saying before, we can't just speed read through it and expect that we're going to get everything out of it. We need to read it slowly, and we need to make observations about what's actually there rather than assumptions about what we think is there or assume is there. Um, so I have a couple quotes here from uh, the, uh, the book Inductive Bible Study by Fur and Kestenberger um, just talking about observation. Uh, good observation is by nature inquisitive and will result in the right questions being asked of the text. We're going to talk about asking questions about the text uh, in a couple weeks. But when performed thoroughly, observation will ensure that all the pieces of the text are laid out on the table before the reader. Observation may not put all the pieces together, but that's not the goal of observation. Simply put, good observation will ensure that all the pieces are available. And then the so the core of observation is reading the Bible attentively. Attentive reading requires persistence. The pursuit of discovering what really lies before us through a careful reading and rereading of the biblical text. And so as we move from doing an overview of a whole book into studying a section of a book, so uh, this week your homework is going to principally be in chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. So as you study that section, the thing we're really going to focus on is just observing what is there. And that's going to seem really tedious. And for a while, it might be frustrating and maybe boring. But the longer you look at it, the more you'll start to see things that you didn't see before. I feel like that's in a Disney song somewhere. It's like Beauty and the Beast. Um... So, now, our, our study guide draws a distinction, and it's not just our study guide. Most people who study the Bible would say this. There's a, there's a distinction between observation and interpretation. And this is where sometimes we can, we can go wrong because we'll start 
we'll start saying things about the text, and it's not, we're not observing what's there, we're, we're interpreting what's there. Now, we do this a lot. You probably do this when you read almost anything else. Um, we, we start to kind of blend observation and interpretation. It's just kind of the way that we read and we process things. So, but it's important as we're studying Scripture that we try to separate our observations from our interpretations. Uh, so, the way they define it is observations are things that are in the passage that cannot be disputed. They're just there, right? So if we are making observations, they shouldn't be things that anybody can dispute. So even if you're a secular atheist and you're studying the Bible, your observations about what's there should be the same as our observations. Interpretation takes our observations and it attempts to discern meaning from the observations we make. And interpretations can be and often are disputed. So your interpretation of what exactly uh, the observations of what's in the text are going to be different than the secular atheist, right? So now we're going we're gonna to play a little game for a couple minutes. Um, this is on, I think this is on page 45 in your workbook. I'm going to put it up here too. Um, there are 10 statements about Philippians 1, 1 to 5 on uh, page 45 of your workbook, also up here on the screen. What I want you to do is I want you to take about five minutes or so, work through these, and decide, are they an observation or are they an interpretation? Yes, Brant. Well, don't look at the slide then. You're, well, okay. Do your best to put away the slide and not look at the at the answers and try to understand, even if you've already cheated and looked at the slide, do your best to try to understand why something's an observation or why something's an interpretation. All right, so take about five minutes and we will uh we'll come back and we'll and we'll go through them one by one. Okay, let's, uh, let's see if we can go through these, see what you guys came up with. Um, number one, Paul and Timothy are called servants of Christ Jesus. Observation or interpretation? Observation. It's just right there in the text. And I think the point of this one is that uh, it's noting that it's not just Paul. It's Paul and Timothy, both of them. Um, that's maybe relevant because that's not always the way that Paul starts his letters. So it's something to notice. Number two, the title Christ Jesus uh, in verse one appears in reverse order in verse two. So Jesus Christ, observation or interpretation? Observation, right, it's just there. You can't, you can't argue with it. I'm sure you could argue with it, but you'd be wrong. What's that? Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's so that's another observation. In in verse 2, 
he adds the title Lord. Okay? Uh, here, I've got to be doing this. There we go. Okay. Paul and Timothy are humbling themselves by calling themselves servants. Observation or interpretation? Interpretation. We know they call themselves servants, but it doesn't actually say right there why. So this is, we're, we're drawing an inference about why they call themselves servants. That's an interpretation. Okay. Uh, number four, this letter is written by two co-authors. Observation or interpretation? Okay, now this is kind of a trick one, isn't it? Ah, In- interpretation. Why? Right. Yeah, it doesn't explicitly say that both of them wrote it. And in fact, we, we talked before about right, how, how we can probably infer from other places in the letter that Paul's the one that wrote it, right? Because he, he refers to Timothy in the third person. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. That would be kind of weird if, if Timothy was the one writing it. Um, so, yeah, Mike. Oh. So they're, they're both named. So the question would be, or do we assume from that that both of them wrote the book or that uh, both of them are the ones that are sending the book? I mean, remember, Timothy's probably the one who's carrying it to Philippi. So... But this is, so this is one where it's disputed, right? You could, you could dispute this one. So it's not just, it's there. What were you going to say? So, but if you want to argue with it, you can send Bethlehem College and Seminary an email. And I'm sure they'll get back to you on that. Sure. Okay, uh, number five, the term overseers comes before the term deacon. Observation, it's just there. Now, the interpretation question would be, is there anything significant about that observation? Right, so we're not there yet. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But then as we seek to kind of take our observations and see why they matter, if they matter, we're asking those questions. All right, the term overseers comes before the term deacons. Good observation. Does it matter? Maybe, maybe not. Number six, verse three begins with a first-person singular pronoun. Observation. First-person singular pronoun was just I. Uh, so, Right. So is that is that like just a general I or is it Paul or what I mean so then and that's when we have to start making inferences about about the text. Number 7, no distinction is made between saints, overseers or deacons in verses 2 through 5. So they said observation. Now, if if you are uh, if you're saying observation, why are you saying observation? He just says to, to 
to all the saints and the overseers and the deacons. Okay? Now, if you're saying interpretation, why? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think that's an interpretation of the way that these letters were set and things like that. And actually, the word saints comes first. So if you were going to expect there to be this strong distinction made, wouldn't you expect overseers to be first? So, it, I mean, again, this is, not, this is not that big of a deal, right? But, but that's, a good, uh, that's good to, to notice, like, okay, these, these things are different. We see that other places in Scripture. So is there a reason why Paul's doing it this way and not another way or, or things like that? Yes, Brett. So it's a, so it's a trick question. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's true. So, okay, this is actually... This is a good observation from from uh, from Kira. Here, why don't you say it? Well, in those um, verses specifically, in this, no distinction is made between saints, overseers, or deacons. It specifically is asking about verses two through five, and those offices are not mentioned at all in those verses. It only says you all, so he must be from Southern Rome or something, or so, so y'all are included. I thank my God for y'all. Um, this actually this this came up this past weekend in uh, in my men's group. We uh, we talked about how because we're looking at Philippians right now too, just so that I can kill two birds with one stone. Um, and uh, and uh, I don't remember who it was that that brought it up. Uh, said, "Wow, he sure says all a lot in these first like eight, nine, ten verses." It, that's a really good observation. Why he keeps he keeps saying. You all, all, you know, all of you. I thank my God for all of you, all of you, over and over again. Why? I'll leave you hanging on that one. Uh, eight, Paul has been in partnership with the Philippian believers for a long time. Observation, interpretation. Interpretation. So we could say we know he's been in partnership with the Philippians. Uh well, first of all, this is kind of subjective. How long is a long time? So this is unfair. But so we know, we know he says from the first day until now, but we don't know when the first day was exactly, and we don't know when now is exactly. So how long was it? Um, we, again, we can draw inferences like this and say, well, it seems like they probably have a pretty long-standing relationship, and here's why, and you can point to some other things in the book that would indicate that. But it doesn't say, hey, we've known each other for a really long time. If, that, if it said that, then we could make that an observation. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not explicitly mentioned in verse 2. Observation. He's not there. Uh, 10. The phrase first day refers to Lydia's conversion. That's back into Acts 16, the start of the church in Philippi. Uh, what do you think? Observation, interpretation. Yeah. So he doesn't say that. So first day, that's a good question. It's like, well, what is the first day? It says the, the Philippians have been in partnership with Paul since the first day. What's the first day? That's something we'll have to think about as we go and we study 
the text. So it's important as you think about, uh, as part of your assignment for this week is going to be going into verses 1 to 11 and making observations to, to recognize the distinction between an observation and an interpretation. So that, I mean, the way to think about it is, if I could say this about the text and show it to somebody else, and they would say, oh yeah, that's, that's right there. Uh, that's an observation. If you have to explain yourself, it's probably an interpretation. All right. Uh, so, real quick, what do you guys think keep, uh, keeps us from being able to make good observations about a text? What are, what are some challenges that we might face in, in observation? Yeah, Don. Familiarity. Familiarity, that's a big one, right? We, we know something so well that we forget, uh, or we think we know it, yeah, which we might not actually know it, that we, we miss things, right? I think about that with, on, my, on my drive home. Like, there, like sometimes when people ask me how to get to my house, I really have to sit down and think about it because I'm just so familiar with doing it. I just, don't, I just don't even think about it anymore. And so I'm not a good observer of my daily commute. Um, people are like, well, I'm at, I'm at the such and such gas station. Where are you guys? I'm like, I don't even know where that is. <laughs> so familiarity, yeah. What else? Yeah, Nate. Oh, oh, we got a mic. Okay, ready? Here we go. Is it on? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, not understanding, like, the cultural and historical uh, context of where it was written and the time it was written and looking at it through our modern eyes only. Yeah, sure. So, so not understanding the context well, um, certainly looking at it from our modern eyes. This kind of can relate to the idea of assumptions is that we can draw assumptions about things. And this bleeds into interpretation that that can really have, uh, have a difficult, uh, have a, uh, an adverse effect on us if we're, if we're making assumptions like that and, uh, and we're just not familiar. We'll, we'll start to read things in. I'll give you uh, an example of, of that. Uh, when I first became a believer and I was studying the Bible, there's a, there's a part in, um, oh, it's in a couple of the Gospels, I think Matthew and Luke, where uh, when John the Baptist is saying, uh, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? Now, the only context in which I had ever heard the idea of a baptism of fire was I'm a total history nerd, and so I, I watch a lot of documentaries. And so the only context I'd heard about this in was when a, a military unit went into battle for the first time. They called it their baptism of fire, right? And so I was interpreting that text with that in my mind. I was wrong. That means something else. So, but not understanding kind of the, the phrases and things like that, that, that can be a problem for interpretation. So, what else? Anything else that might... Yeah. Okay, prejudice and bias. Well, go ahead. Keep going. Okay. Well, for the, for the recording. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Prejudice and bias. Yeah, so... Wh- what, what, like, I, what I bring to the table before I sit down and read. Sure. For example, if I think that Paul is an unreliable, uh, untrustworthy person... Mm-hmm then what I see when I read this book is going to be vastly different from somebody who's open sure. to, 
that he may be telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, that will really affect the way that we interpret things. Um, even if the observations we have are the same, uh, I mean, when I went to, when I did my undergrad work and I, and I studied comparative religion, I had a bunch of classes with people who were not believers, and we were studying the Bible. And so they would draw things from the text that, uh, I mean, I would say, well, yeah, yeah, that's there, but what you're saying about it, I don't think I agree with. Um, and that was because they brought presuppositions to the table. They brought, they brought the baggage of their, of their own commitments or lack of commitments uh, to their study, and they just assumed, well, we all know this couldn't be true, or we all know Paul didn't really write this, or, or whatever, and so, um, yeah. What might help us be better observers of a passage? Brent. Reading it more? Reading it more. Taking time to read it. Yeah. Like slowly and Yeah, reading it slowly. I'll tell you the number of times that I read scripture and I find myself having to reread it because I've just glanced over something. I've not actually slowed down to take in what it's saying. And there can be advantages to, to trying to read big chunks of the Bible at once. You get the big picture, but when you're going to study, you need to slow down and, and read it over and over again. Yeah. Uh, would different translations yeah. give you a good observation? Yep. Different translations. So, so comparing translations. We're not going to talk about that tonight because that's actually going to be uh, lesson eight. We're going to talk about translations as, as uh, helping our observation and interpretation. But yeah, Carl. This kind of comes in line with what I said before about prejudice and bias, which yeah. is coming to the reading with the intention of being an observer. That's right. In other words, trying to lay the bias and the prejudice aside. So mm -hmm. I'm going to try and read what's here in the text yeah. and then let the text speak to me as opposed to my preconceived ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, an example that this... Maybe this is a good illustration. Maybe it's not. I'm just making it up on the fly. Um, we have a, a team of 15 people who are, who are going to Lebanon. They're leaving on Friday. Um, and uh, so they're going, and some of them are here. Uh, and uh, so they're going to Beirut, and they're going to be ministering there. And uh, uh, Beirut's got a little bit of a different culture than Philadelphia. Um, I, well, I've never been there, but I'm, I, so I'm assuming. Maybe that's my, my problem. I'm, I'm assuming familiarity. What about West Philly? Yeah, is that an observation you're making? So, um, one of the things, and I'm probably going to totally butcher this, so those of you who are going, please forgive me. Um, when, you, when you go into a, a foreign country like that, you have to, on the front end, you have to do some, some kind of cultural sensitivity training so that you don't go in and you start assuming you know everything about the culture and why they do this and why they do that and how they do this and how they do that. You need to go in as an observer. You need to be willing to say, okay, I don't totally understand why they're doing that, but I'm noticing it and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write it down and I'm going to ask somebody about it later or something like that. So uh, I'm sure you all who are going went through a much uh, deeper and more profound uh, training than that. But this kind of illustration, we, when we are going to the text, we're going to a foreign country. We don't live there. 
It's a different time and place. And so we need to be observant and not assume that because we're so familiar with at least many of the passages that we know exactly what it means. So, yeah, Kimberly. Brett's coming. I was just going to say to pray before, Mm. um, ask the Holy Spirit to just open your eyes to something new, particularly with familiar passages to help us see something different. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So So Kimberly stole another answer over here. You guys are the really spiritual ones. <laughs> Talking about. Okay, we'll, we'll do that in just a sec. Uh, but yeah, but pray. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to reveal wonders from the Word of God. Right? That's what we, we talked about the first week, the, the doctrine of illumination, that the Holy Spirit helps us read, helps us understand the Scriptures. Um, so... Yeah, okay, and this, this is going to be the last thing, and then we really need to go because we've still got, like, 70 slides. On behalf of Kevin. On behalf of Kevin, okay. His, his answer to the first question was sin. Yeah. What keeps us from being able to make good observations about a passage? Sin? Yeah, you better believe it. Uh, so we can, uh, we can have all of our methodology down right, and if, and if we don't want the Bible to say something... We will not think it says that thing, right? It's like, at the very least, I'm, I'm at least pleased with the, the consistency and the self-awareness of somebody who says, I know the Bible says that, I don't care. I'm like, okay, well, at least you're being honest with yourself. I'm, I'm less patient with those people who are like, oh, no, the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> like, no, but it does. Whether you like it or not, it's there. So what are you going to do about it? Uh, I had a conversation with somebody one time who was trying to argue for, for universalism and, and, oh, Jesus loves everybody and accepts everybody and you don't have to repent or have faith or anything like that. Everybody goes to heaven. He also only wanted to use the red letters of Jesus. That's a different story. We're not going to talk about that now, but I have a soliloquy I can give you on that later. Um, but uh, I said, well, how about, how about where Jesus said, like in Luke 13, that unless you repent, you will all perish. He's like, well, Jesus never said that. I said, no, he did. It, it's, it's just right there. He's like, well, is it in red letters? I said, yes. And, so, and then he really quickly wanted to change the subject because suddenly something that's actually written in the Bible contradicted what he wanted to be true. If we come to the Bible with that attitude that we are going to be the arbiters of what's true and what's not, we're going to be really bad students. Okay. The rest of our time tonight... Oh, I have something else to share with you first. Okay, real quick. I'm super glad you all have um, all the slides already uh, so that you can go back and reference it later. Things to observe, uh, four big categories, just if you're thinking, well, what am I looking for in a text? Um, looking uh, first, words. So as you're observing a text of Scripture, it's the building blocks of a passage are the words. And so you're looking at the different words that are used. Um, we're not talking about uh, writing down the number of times the word the is in the passage. That's probably not a really helpful observation. 
um, but looking for things like what's repeated, what, uh, what words uh, are, occur a lot, uh, are there any theologically significant or confusing words uh, in the passage, are there figurative or symbolic terms, uh, things like that. We're going to talk about some of those things in chapter 7 when we talk about doing, or uh, lesson 7 when we talk about doing word studies. Uh, grammar and structure, uh, how do the words relate to one another? Um, and uh, how does the author put the passage together to give it meaning? Uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in Lesson 6 and uh, tonight. Uh, mood, what's the tone and feel of the passage? You're going to read about that? You didn't read about that already, did you? In this book, I don't remember. And Dig Deeper? I think you're going to read about that uh, in the next couple weeks. The, uh, the tone and feel tool, chapter 10. Uh, so you're going to read about that, observing what is, you know, are, are there things in the passage that would give you an indication as to the, the mood of the author? For example, in the book of Galatians, um, Paul's mood is kind of fiery. And you see that in some of his language. Like the beginning of chapter 3 in Galatians, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's not quite as... Uh, Nice as in the Philippians, and he says, I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. It's a little bit different feel. So th that might give you an indication of, of some of the different purpose and what's going on in those, in those books. And then genre. Genre just means the kind of literature that it is. Is it narrative? Is it poetry? Is it a letter? Is it uh, the really fun kind of literature that we call apocalyptic uh, that I know all of you are super interested in and we're probably not going to talk a lot about in this class? Um, what kind of literature is it? Because the kind of literature that it is will, will give you some indication on, on meaning. Th things that are written as poetry are going are gonna to be interpreted differently than things that are written as historical narrative. Right? So, now, for the rest of the time tonight. Um, if you remember... Uh, Last, last time we talked about historical interpretation, historical context. So what, what our study guide is doing is it's saying I'm, we're, they're giving you three big principles for interpretation. So the first big principle was historical interpretation. We interpret it uh, because it is uh, that, that every text was written uh, in a particular historical context by somebody, for somebody, for a particular meaning. Uh, and our goal is to discover what that meaning is what the author's meaning is before we seek to apply it to our own lives. That's historical interpretation. And then they're going to do 10 strategies for studying a text. So if you come and you're, you're going to sit down and say, I'm going to study Philippians 1, 1 to 11, what are things that you do? Like, how do you actually go about, go about doing that? Um, and so uh, if you're, uh, I think this is on page uh, 42. 10 strategies for studying the text. They say, one, create a sentence flow. They call it a sentence flow. I call it phrasing. I'm just going to call it phrasing because it's easier for me because that's what I call it. Um, phrasing or sentence uh, flow, and I'm going to give you a hint. Don't pay too much attention to what they write about it. And you can if you want but I think it's more confusing. 
I'm going to try to explain it to you in a less confusing way. You can tell me afterwards whether or not I've succeeded. Um, phrasing, they also call it sentence flow, is a way to visually diagram or map out uh, a, a section of Scripture. And the purpose is so that you will, you're forced to slow down and read every word and think about every word and how the words relate uh, to one another. See how all the pieces fit together. It's accomplished by, that should say, dividing, not diving. Uh, it's accomplished by dividing a passage into its main phrases and modifying phrases. So, and some of you are going to say, well, what, is, what does that mean? Well, a phrase is just two or more words. That's simple. So, a phrase is two or more words. A main phrase would be a complete thought. So something that you could put the period at the end of, and it would be a complete sentence. Um, so sometimes if you're, if you're reading about this or listening to people talk about this, they'll talk about independent clauses or independent phrases. That just means it's independent. It doesn't need anything else in order for it to be a complete thought. And then there's modifying phrases, which are incomplete thoughts of two or more words that modify another phrase. And so... Uh, you couldn't put a period at the end of it because it wouldn't be a complete sentence or a complete thought. Uh, so and sometimes they're called dependent clauses because they're dependent on a main phrase or a main clause to have any meaning. Clear as mud? I'm going to give you some examples, so don't worry. I'm not going to just make you do this um, right now. All right, so I'm going to give you... Uh, an example, um, this is not in the Bible. Um, but I, I wrote a sentence to try to illustrate what I mean, okay? So the first thing I would do is I come to this sentence. I came to Mining God's Word, which is taught by Pastor John, because I wanted to learn how to study the Bible so that I can know it well and teach it to others. Now, the way we normally read, you might read that and be like, yeah, I think I get the gist of that. Um, so, but as we're making observations of the biblical text, we want to break it down even more so that we're very specifically looking at what the author uh, is saying. So the first thing that I would do is divide this up into phrases. Um, so, the basic way, generally speaking, that I would do something like this is I would look for things like commas or semicolons, and I would start there. Uh, and so those would kind of be some of the big breaks. Uh, and then there are other places where I might break it up too, where there are conjunctions like and or uh, other connecting words like for or which or so, things like that. So this is how I broke it up. So I came to mining God's word. That's one phrase. Which is taught by Pastor John. So which, there's a comma, and which is like a connecting word. Because, another connecting word, I wanted to learn how to study the Bible so that, connecting word, I can know it well, and, connecting word, teach it to others. So that's how I kind of divided it up into, into separate phrases.
Um, and then what I would do is I would list the phrases. Uh, normally, I would do this on something like just like a, a computer document. You can do it if you want to, you know, write it down. Um, but you uh, may want to write the phrases one at a time. But I would usually do this in a Word document or something like that. List them down the left side of my paper so that they're all on a different line. And then what I do is I identify the main phrase. So what is what's the phrase? that is a complete thought. I came to mining God's word. Are you cheating? Are you looking at my text? I'm just kidding. I came to mining God's word. You could put a period at the end of that, and it's a complete sentence. It doesn't need anything else, right? And so if I have the main phrase, I keep that all the way on the left, well, this is your left, on the left side of my paper. And then what I start to do, because what I really want to do is I want to look at how do the rest of the phrases uh, relate to that main phrase and to each other. And so I start indenting uh, the other phrases underneath it. So I indent the modifying phrases. So I came to mining God's word, which is taught to Pastor John. So I ask myself, okay, what what part of the main phrase is that modifying? Um, is it modifying, is, is it telling me something about the fact that I came? Is it telling me something about the class? The class. So I would move it over and put it underneath the class to show that there's, that's where it's connecting. Right? Um, then the next phrase, because I wanted to learn how to study the Bible. Is that telling me something about the class itself, or is that telling me something about why I came? Why I came. So then I would just indent that a little bit so that it went under why I came. So I came because I wanted to learn how to study the Bible. Right? The next one, so that I can know it well. All right, now, this is where it can start to get a little confusing. Is this uh, modifying something in that main phrase, or is it modifying something in one of the other phrases? Yeah, so, it's, it, and so one of the ways that you can think about this is as you go down the list, you're kind of asking yourself questions. What does this phrase have to do with what came before it? Right? So so that I can know it well. Well, what, is, what, what question is that answering? Yeah, why did I want to learn how to study the Bible? So I would indent that over and put it underneath uh, why I wanted to learn how to study the Bible. So that I can know it well, and then, and teach it to others. Same thing, so I would put it same place. Okay? And then step five... I would start to work out the relationships. And this is, listen, I'm, this is just a tool, okay? I'm going to tell you this later, but I want to say it right now. You don't have to do this in order to study the Bible, okay? You don't have to do this in order to make observations. You can do that without doing this. What I'm wanting to show you is a tool that I think can really help you slow down and think through the text well, and uh, I'm also just a really visual person, so this really helps me. So I start to work out the relationship. So I see, okay, 
uh, I came to mining God's word. Really, I guess that box should only just be around mining God's word, huh? Um, which is taught by Pastor John. So I just start drawing arrows to, so I can see what fits with what. I came because I wanted to learn how to study the Bible. I wanted to learn how to study the Bible so that I can know it well and so that I can teach it to others. Thank you. Oh, look, at, so you're, you're way ahead of us then. Okay. And then from there, we start to make observations. What are things that you can notice? Uh, and, you'll, and you'll notice things as you go, and then you'll notice things as you, as you finish up. What are things that you notice uh, about this sentence? Well, finding God's words taught by Pastor John. John is a pastor, the real, or a professor. That's yeah. That's your interpretation. The reason I took mining God's word was to learn to study the Bible. There are two reasons I wanted to learn how to study the Bible. The first reason is so that I can know the Bible well. The second reason is so that I can teach it to others. So there's six observations right there that you probably couldn't make without doing this. But as you work through it, I think it forces you to slow down enough that, that the observations come more easily. Right? Because you're not as prone to skip over little things. And remember, we talked about this the first night. The, the doctrine of inspiration is that every word in the Bible is given by inspiration of God. So every word matters. We don't just get to skip over some words and say, that, that's not important. Now, some are going to be more important than others. Some are going to be more relevant to particular interpretations than others. But every word matters. And if you want an example of that, when Jesus is arguing with the Sadducees in the Gospel of Matthew about whether or not there's a resurrection at the end of the age... He says, first of all, he, he really roasts them. He says, you guys don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. That's a way to make friends. He says, have you not read that it's written, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And the point he makes is, he is the God of the living, not the dead. So he's saying, because, because the Scripture says that God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still live and that there's a resurrection. The, the difference there is the tense of a word. Every word matters. Yes? That's a great question. Was there punctuation back then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, was there punctuation? Uh, yes and no. Kind of. Mm -hmm. oh, that is a, that's a much more complicated question. Um, how, do, how do we know that they got the punctuation right and things like that? Well, first of all, if you look at different translations, you'll notice there are places where the punctuation is different. 
Um, so generally speaking, there's agreement on the way things work. Plus, in Greek and in Hebrew, there are words that kind of mark off phrases like this. So they don't have the same kind of punctuation that we do. But So, for example, in Hebrew, there's no such thing as a question mark. Uh, but there are words that, when they occur, they only mean questions. So uh, that would be an example. Yeah. So the way, I'll, okay, I'll give you a quick lesson in Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew word for why is me. Now you know Hebrew. Why me? Okay. So w what I want to do now is I, I have like two or three more examples of this because I, I want you guys to see it working before you try it yourself. Okay? Um, for, the, for the sake of time, I may not go through all of them because I do want you to try to do it here tonight before I send you home to do it. Uh, but what I want to do is I just want to start with this one. This is from 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verses 2 and 3. So the verse reads, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we do is what? Divide it into phrases. Okay? So where are some places where you guys think we should be dividing it into phrases? Okay, so pu punctuation. Judy's gone, so we can, we can talk about punctuation now. Um, so punctuation, yeah, so we pay attention to, to commas. Um, so maybe where there are commas, in the middle of verse 2, the end of verse 2, maybe places where we divide it. Where else? Say again? Connector words like and, okay. So I'm going to show you where I did it, okay? Maybe. There we go. So we give thanks to God always for all of you, break, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, break, remembering before our God and Father, break, your work of faith, and your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, you could be more or less specific as you divide things up into phrases, okay? So it's possible, uh, if you wanted to, you could do just, we give thanks to God always for all of you. That's one. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers is two, and remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you could just have three phrases. Now, I don't like to do it because that's a really long phrase, and, and I think it breaks up more naturally, but, but you could do that. Um, so you don't have to break it up really specifically. We could break it up further. Um, we could break it after God. We give thanks to God, and then always for all of you. Um, and then we could break it up and say, constantly mentioning you, break, in our prayers. 
So, so you can break it up a lot of different ways. You don't have to do that. And that's going to be more preference. What's going to help you understand the text? So it's not scientific. It's how is this going to help you slow down and understand what's being said in the Scripture? So then I list them down the side. And then we identify what's the, what's the main phrase? What's the complete thought? We give thanks to God always for all of you. Okay? That's, that's a complete thought. You could put a period at the end of it. It's a complete thought. So that's the one. When I, when I do this on like a piece of paper or something, I, I underline it just so that I recognize this is the, the main phrase. A lot of times, it's going to be the first thing that's there. But not every time. There's another example in, in the slides that I don't think we're going to get to where, where that's actually the case. Um, so, we've identified the main phrase. Then we, we start indenting the modifying phrases to see, well, how, where does each of these things fit? Um, so, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Um, what, what is that modifying? What, is that, what question is that answering? Okay, so maybe it's, well, how, how do we give thanks to God? Or, yeah, we, well, we, we constantly mentioning, mention you in our prayers. And then the next one, remembering before our God and Father. Well, what's, what's that one? What's that one doing? For all of you. It could be, and, so, and this is where you'll have to start to try to work out in your own mind what you think it, it modifies best, it's because it's, it could be a couple different things, and, and it may, you know, all, yeah, so it could have something to do with always. Now, sometimes you could spend a really long time trying to figure it out, and it maybe is better to not uh, obsess over it because you'll never get past, you know, like half a verse. So, so I just put it under the same thing. I said, well, this is, this is modifying the idea of giving thanks to God. This is saying, well, how am I giving thanks to God? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly mentioning you in my prayers and I'm remembering these things before my God and Father. So it's maybe two ways that uh, I'm giving thanks to God. Okay? So, we can argue about that. It could be other things, and, and that could be just as helpful for you as you seek to understand the text. So then, your work of faith, what, what question is that answering? Yeah, what, what am I remembering before my God and Father? Okay, your work of faith. Same thing, okay, and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Okay, and then this one goes even further under, right? It goes, it's the steadfastness of our hope. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus. Now, uh, one thing as we, as we start to think through the relationships that each of these things has with one another, so we've got, we give thanks to God always, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, and then 
Remembering what? Well, three things. Your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. And the hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ. One question that I had as I started looking through this text was, does in our Lord Jesus Christ only relate to hope or does it also relate to faith and love? So that it's your work of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your labor of love in the Lord Jesus Christ and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he just sticks it at the end as a summary for all of them. I don't know. But it's a question, right? Bob. Yes. say this. God is already knowing that we're going to be studying this this uh, message that you're giving us tonight. Yes. 2,000 years ago when this was being written. Yes. So it had to take Paul three years to write this one letter? <laughs> no. It, it didn't. Yeah. It's here in Turkey. Yeah. Um, it didn't take, well, it probably didn't take Paul three years to write this letter. We did see earlier that he may have been in a relationship with the Philippians for a long time. It might be because it took him so long to write this. Um, no, probably not. But because, first of all, we're reading a translation of something that was written 2,000 years ago in a foreign language. And so there are things that we are apt to miss that we wouldn't probably not miss if we were reading an article in the New York Times or something like that. Um, so because the genres are different, the culture is different, the history is different, um, there's theological significance behind it all, it differs from the kind of things that we read on a day-to-day -day basis. That we actually probably, we probably do this just in our brains when we read anything. We just don't diagram it like this. Um, and it's, it's something that because of the, the profound significance of Scripture in our lives, that it is the Word of God and that we ought to know it well, that we want to force ourselves to slow down and not miss something. If I miss something uh, reading you know, anything that I might read during the day, it may not be that big of a deal. If I miss something that I'm reading in Scripture, it might be a bigger deal. Yeah, Scott. Something to the observation that in Paul's letters, he is, is he purposely leaving out mentioning the Holy Spirit? <laughs> is Paul purposely, uh, it could, because uh, in, in Paul's greetings, he says, uh, um, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. Scott's question is, is there some reason he leaves out the Holy Spirit? Uh, that's a theological question that maybe we can talk about when you study the passage for next week. Um, but that's, that's bigger than just this letter. That's Why does Paul do that in all his letters? Yeah. So uh, I'm not prepared to give you a good quick answer on that right now. Uh, I will tell you, it's not because Paul doesn't think the Holy Spirit is God. So, 
Not that you were thinking that. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I was going to do 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 4. I'm going to do this real quick. I just want to show you in this one, the, uh, the main phrase is not the first phrase. Okay? So, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, that's not a complete thought. As, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, that's when we were saying, what? So the main thought is what? What could you put a period at the end of? Remain at Ephesus. So that's the main thought. That's the main phrase. And then everything else uh, is modifying that, uh, that phrase. So I would, it would end up, I would make it look something like this. So goes all the way at the left. It's the main phrase. Everything else gets indebted. Okay, I'm going to shoot through this real quick. Yep. Uh, and I want you to take uh, the next couple minutes and try to do Philippians 1.7. Okay, I hate to do this to you, but uh, we've only got a couple minutes left, and there's a couple more things I want to, I want to at least mention to you before before I let you go. Um, so I'm going to stop you here. Uh, thankfully, you have the the notes, so you can see what my answers are. But we're going to go through it real quick. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm going to for sake of time, I'm going to show you where I where I broke it up. Basically, I broke it where there's commas, and then uh, in the uh, at the end. Uh, both in my imprisonment break and in the defense break and confirmation break of the gospel. Now, you didn't need to do it that way. That's just the way that I did it. Um, list them down the side. What's the main phrase? It, it's right for me to feel this way about you all, Period. Well, it's not a period, but it could be, right? Complete, it's a complete thought. Okay, so that's the main phrase. Because I hold you in my heart, what, what is that answering? What is, what is that adding to it? Yeah, why, why is it right for me to feel this way about you? So I move it under, under that. It's right for me to feel this way. Why? Because I, I hold you in my heart. Okay, what about... For you are all partakers with me of grace. What's that? Okay, under the because phrase, because that's, that's explaining why, why do I hold you in my heart? I hold you in my heart. Why? Well, you are all partakers with me of grace. Of grace. Of grace. So... As we read this, I mean, you're already maybe starting to realize, like, okay, well, what does it mean to be a partaker of grace? What does that look like? So, um, okay, both in my imprisonment. Yeah, so uh, in what way are you a partaker of grace with me? Okay. In my imprisonment, right? Oh, I skipped, I skipped one. So, in my... In the defense, so that, where would that one go? 
Same, same place? Yeah. Well, it's basically the same place. It's maybe, it's a, maybe it's a space beyond. It's not exact. Defense and confirmation of the gospel. What is that? Yeah, that's referring to both defense and confirmation. So, uh, you're partakers of, because to say you're a partaker of grace with me in the defense, we have the defense of what? What are we talking about? So, of the gospel probably modifies both defense and confirmation. And so then we start to work out the relationships and see, well, it's right for me to feel this way about you. The reason it's right for me to feel this way about you is I hold you in my heart. The reason I hold you in my heart is that you are partakers of grace with me. How are you a partaker of grace with me? Well, you're a partaker of grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So then, as this helps you kind of understand the structure of the text, then you start to ask yourself questions like, well, what's the confirmation of the gospel? How, how are the Philippians uh, a partaker of grace with Paul and his imprisonment? What's, what's the relationship there? Um, how uh, how are the the Philippians involved in the defense of the gospel? What is what's going on in Philippi? So you start to ask questions of the observations you're making to help you get to the interpretation. What does it mean? What is Paul what is Paul saying? So um, the the uh, well the disc- I don't remember if I put it. Uh, here later, I'll put it in a second. Uh, the, they have a couple more strategies for for the uh, uh, studying the text in this chapter. Uh, number two is record your observations. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this. Um, dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind, Tom Allen. You've probably heard that one before. You will hear it again. Um, so why do you record your observations? Because no matter how good you think you are, you don't remember everything. So write it down. It helps you remember. But you remember it. Well, once something is repeated enough times, you start to remember it. We could probably go back and forth on things that Tom says. Okay. Um, So you record your observations. A couple disclaimers on phrasing. It's Like I said, it's just a tool. Uh, You don't have to do it in order to study the Bible. I think it helps. It helps me. There's a lot of other people that think it helps. You might think it doesn't help. You don't need to do it. But I would would encourage you to at least try it. Try to work with it. It takes practice. Uh, And after a while, you might find that it really helps. Um, I think I just said two and three. Uh, And don't get hung up on doing it right. The point is not necessarily to get it right. The point is to observe things in the text, to see what's actually there in the text and how things relate. So yours might not look the same as mine or the same as somebody sitting next to you. That's okay. Uh, And then they they say discern the main point. We're going to kind of punt that for next time because discerning the main point is getting into observation. Uh, and so um, we're going to talk the next time we're together about 
asking good questions of the text to move from observation to interpretation? How do we take our observations, put them together, and see uh, what kind of interpretation we can get? We, we start doing that by, by asking questions. So I'm going to skip that slide. Your homework for March 20th, uh, complete the workbook, pages 49 to 54. Uh, I'm going to modify it a little bit. Okay, you all listening? I'm modifying the homework. It's a mod that's a modifying phrase. I'm modifying the homework. Okay. Um, day one, create your own sentence flow or phrasing of Philippians 1, 9 to 11. I'd like you guys to give that a try. Um, if you, you're uh, frustrated and you're going to feel like you're going to jump out of a window or something like that because of it, you can stop. It's okay. I'm not collecting them or anything, so it's okay. But I would encourage you to give it a try. I think it can be really helpful. Um, day two, uh, your homework will be to concentrate on Philippians 1, 1 to 11. Read the passage repeatedly and attempt to make as many observations and interpretations as possible. Okay? That's your homework. Okay? All, all, the, all the rest of it that's saying, well, make 10 observations about the relationship between verses 9 to 11 and one day, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the number of observations you make. Just try to make as many as you can. Now, they say at the end of, of this time, you should have about 40 observations. Um, it's a good number to aim for, but if you're getting super frustrated with it, don't, um, don't get bent out of shape. It's okay if you don't come up with, with that many. We're just, we're all learning and practicing, so that's, so that's fine. Don, were you going to ask a question? Okay. Uh, what else do I have? Yeah, so, but what I would do is I would do day two several times. Like, I would read the passage and look for more observations. Read the passage, look for more observations. So rather than doing the, the things that they say on days three, four, and five, um, just do day one and then do day two several times. Try to get as many observations as you can. If you're ambitious and you want to try to do days three through five, that's fine. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. Uh, and that might be really helpful. But um, for your sake, I, wanted, I want to give you a reprieve and say, just focus on ma making as many careful, thoughtful observations of the first 11 verses of Philippians as you can. Uh, you're reading. Uh, you got two chapters from Dig Deeper. Uh, that, that should be on your syllabus. Uh, same if you have inductive Bible study. There's some optional reading. Um, and on the website... You're going to have an electronic version of my slides, which actually is going to be an updated version because this is a, a slightly older version. Um, I, updated, I think I printed these off at 3, and I actually had this at 4. Uh, it was when I finished it. Uh, and there's also a couple things on there that will help you with phrasing. So there's uh, two videos that you have links to. Actually, maybe it might be three videos uh, that you have access to uh, that will explain phrasing more from other people who are smarter than me, uh, including the guy who wrote the textbook I used to learn Greek, so he's way smarter than me. Uh, don't worry, he's not talking about Greek, he's just talking about phrasing. Uh, and, uh, and some other guys uh, with videos for that. And there's also two chapters from a book that, that uh, this guy Bill Mounts wrote about phrasing. Um, that are just available for free online, so I put them on our site. So when the audio is posted from tonight, those things will be on there as well. So please, I mean, you're going to be snowed in tomorrow anyway, so what better to do than read the Word? 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can't shovel while everything's coming down, so you might as well stay in, drink a cup of coffee, and phrase Philippians 1, 9 to 11. Uh, okay, we are, uh, we're done for this evening. Thank you. Be safe. I don't know if the weather's coming yet, but be safe on your drive home and tomorrow, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks.